You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Continuing to study through uh, the book of Joshua, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it's a great book, uh, such great principles for our walk with the Lord and, and New Testament principles that, that are really uh, embedded in this, this Old Testament book. And the time has finally come here for the children of Israel to cross over the Jordan into the land of promise. And this has been something that they have been uh, sort of missing out on and, and really avoiding for 40 years now. And it's, it's time for them to finally enter in this second generation, the old generation, the new uh, the, the original generation has passed away, and this second generation is there with their new leader, Joshua, and they're, they're right up at the land of promise. And the only thing that is dividing them is, is this Jordan River. And, and really, as I said here, this is a picture of the Christian life for sure, and we've talked about it uh, quite a bit, but uh, repetition is, is good, and so we'll go over it again And the Exodus, you remember when they left Egypt, it symbolizes the leaving behind of the flesh. Egypt symbolizes for us the flesh life, the the life before Christ, before you gave your life to Christ. And, And that was Egypt. You remember they were in slavery in Egypt. And the Bible tells us that, that he who, um, sins is a slave to sin. And we're in bondage to sin before we come to Christ. There, there is no freedom apart from Christ. It's, it's Christ that sets us free. And so before Christ, we were in bondage to our flesh. And, and that is pictured for us with the Egyptian exodus. And they left behind that, that life and they began to follow and to pursue their Passover lamb, Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. And, and the Christian life doesn't stop there. And sadly, I think for many it does, though. I think for many, as we talked about on Sunday, we're totally content with fire insurance or with just asking Jesus to come into our life, but not giving Him our entire life, not making Him our Lord, and, and not uh, entering into the abundant life. And, and God calls us to press further. Not to be content with just leaving Egypt and then wandering around in the wilderness. And we're all familiar with the wilderness wandering and it, it really serves to demonstrate the life of mediocrity, the, the Christian life that is fruitless, the carnal Christian life, the, the Christian life that is not involved in ministry, the Christian life that is not serving others, the Christian life that is not bearing fruit. And sadly, that is where many believers are at. And, and they just have sort of come to uh, be used to that and, and to sort of dwell in that, in that wilderness place. But God calls us to more than that. God has more for us than that. He has the abundant life. As Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And this land of promise, you guys, the, the promised land is not at all a picture of heaven. 
And there's lots of songs written about the promised land being heaven and, you know, we're going to cross the Jordan River and we're going to, you know, enter into eternal life and all of this. But the illustrations don't line up. Because when they enter in, as we're going to look at in Joshua, when they enter into the promised land, they've got battles and wars and struggles and sin and all of that that we aren't going to deal with in heaven. And so clearly there's a different picture, there's a, there's a different model there for us, and that is, that is the abundant life. And the abundant life is filled with struggles. It's filled with difficulty. It's filled with trials. It's filled with battles. What does Ephesians chapter 6 tell us? That we're in a war. And the, the sooner that we realize that we're in a war, the better. The sooner that we realize that we have an enemy that wants to destroy us, the better that we are. And as they enter in, they're well aware of the battles that are going to be facing them. But what is it that stands in the way right now? As they stand at the bank of the Jordan River, what is it that stands in the way? It's, it is the Jordan River. It, it is this really intimidating body of water that at this time would be flowing powerfully. There are times of the year where the Jordan is kind of just more of a trickle, but at this time it would be flowing mightily. It would, it would be uh, rising heavily. And as we're going to see in our text, it tells us that. And so this would be what was standing in their way. And I think that we need to ask ourselves, what is it that's standing in the way of us entering into the abundant life, of us entering into the promised land? What is it that's, that's in our way of that? What is it that's stopping us from pressing in to all that God would have for us? What is it that's keeping us on the east side of the Jordan in a life of mediocrity, a life of compromise, a life of stunted growth, a life of fruitlessness? We know what the answer is. We can probably point to to that thing, if, it, if it's true of us that we're not living the abundant life. And so, as we make our way through Joshua chapter 3, I want us to see four things tonight that would allow us to press into the abundant life. Because that's really what it's all about. That really will make the difference between us being a danger to God's kingdom and us being a, an absolute... Um, joy to God's kingdom. And, you know, sadly to say, many Christians and many churches and many leaders are a danger to God's kingdom. They're more of a uh, hindrance than, than they are uh, something that is uh, facilitating the work of God. And, and you know what? I don't ever want to be a hindrance to God's work. And I don't want our church to be a hindrance to God's work. I don't want our, hindrance, our church to be a hindrance to, to what the Lord wants to do in this community. But apart from crossing the Jordan into the abundant life, you guys, we are a danger to the kingdom of God. And so we're going to see four things tonight. Four things as we make our way that I think serve to uh, give us some principles of how we can enter into the abundant life. And the first thing is that we must be set apart. If you look at verses 1 through 5 with me, it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from 
Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify or set yourselves apart, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And so the first thing that I think is super important for us, if we're going to enter into the abundant life, is that we have to be set apart. And it simply means that we would recognize that we are already set apart. And this word sanctify or set apart, it basically means to be holy. And in order for us, you guys, to to enter into the promised land, we have to recognize the holiness that we already have. See, oftentimes we're trying to drum up holiness. Oftentimes we're trying to to make holiness a, a part of our lives when... That is a, an effort in futility. We, we can't be good. We can't do the right thing. We cannot please God in our flesh. What does the Bible say? That apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, that doesn't just mean that we trust God by faith for initial salvation. See, again, this is where we lose out. We think of everything as this point in time where we got saved. And can I say this to you guys? That the Bible doesn't talk about a point in time where we got saved. It doesn't talk about that. The Bible says that Christianity, that following Jesus, is a, a, more of a marathon. It's more of a daily walk. It, it isn't that I got saved on December 5th, 1990, which happens to be the day that I came to know Christ. And I can point to that day because I know for sure that was the day that I began to follow Jesus. However, the Bible doesn't really talk about a sinner's prayer or this definitive date that we might pray and, and ask Jesus to, to come into our life. It, it's more of a, of a daily following Him. And what does the Bible say in, in Habakkuk and in the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews? It says, the just shall live by faith. And so it's a daily walk of faith. And in order for us to please God, we have to live by faith daily. And part of this living by faith is understanding that we are holy. That we look at our lives and we say, you know what? I am set apart. I am sanctified. I am holy. Not because of anything I've done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ in my life. And so I get up in the morning and I remind myself of the fact that the flesh has got to die. That Jesus has to be put on the throne of my life. That the cross has to be at the very center of what I'm doing. And by faith, I trust that I am holy. That I am set apart. That I am sanctified. And until we recognize that and we begin to live out that set apart self in our daily life, until we begin to, to live out that holiness that's already been imputed to our account, we won't be holy. We won't be sanctified. We won't be 
set apart for his kingdom. And so that's super important for us to understand. Is yes, we've been justified. And that that is that we've been declared forgiven and that we've been declared righteous. We're being sanctified. But sanctification, you guys, is a twofold thing. It's positional and it's practical. And it's the positional sanctification that is being set apart, being declared holy. It's this positional sanctification that we have a difficult time understanding. Practically, we realize that we're a mess. I mean, we we see our life and we see, man, practically I am just totally blowing it. But what we need to come back to is the position that we have in Christ. You remember when we were studying Ephesians, which, by the way, is, is really the New Testament dovetail with Joshua? Remember when we were in Ephesians, and what was it all about? Understanding who we are in Christ, and who Christ is in us. That's one of the most important things that you can do as a follower of Jesus Christ, is understand who you are in Christ. Be confident in that. Be confident in who you are in Him and who He is in you. And one of the main things that that produces in us, you guys, is holiness. And as we understand our position, that is who we are in Him and who He is in us, the practice is a byproduct. The practical aspect of working out our salvation with fear and trembling, is a byproduct of understanding that it is He that works in us, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. As we understand that we're saved by grace, through faith, and it's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? But do you know that many of us kind of just leave it there and we forget about verse 10 that says, we've are His workmanship, poema. We are His workmanship, we're His poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works that He has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And so even the, the good works that we are supposed to be producing, that most of the time from churches are in pulpits are being pounded into your head that you need to do this and you better not do that and, and you better be, you know, modeling Jesus Christ and you better be holy and, and it's you, 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 you and what you can do for God. And what we fail to realize is that all of those things have already been accomplished and we just need to walk in them by faith. They've already been done for us. As he says there, they've already been created. We just walk in them. And we walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so it's an amazing principle for us to, to get our mind around and for us to, to grip and to grasp. And it will, it will change our lives. It will change our relationship with, with Jesus. When we realize this isn't about me. Jesus isn't asking me to bring anything to the table except faith and trust. He's not asking you to bring anything else. 
But we, we end up stumbling up to the table with all of our own efforts and all of our, you know, good intentions and all of the things that we're trying to do for God. And, and we talked about it on Sunday, and he just says, you know, I don't mean to offend you, but all of that stuff is filthy rags. Why don't we, why don't we get rid of all of that? And, and I've got something better. I've got it all laid out for you. You just need to walk in it. Oh, well, that sounds like easy believism. That, that sounds like, you know, cheap grace. Call it what you want. But it's what the, the Bible teaches. Well, don't you think that if, if people uh, have that kind of a freedom and they, they have that kind of an understanding of, of God that they're just going to do whatever they want? Actually not. Because what does Romans chapter 2 tell us? That it's the law of God that produces repentance? That it's the wrath of God that, that brings fruitfulness in our life? No. It's the kindness of God. It's the grace of God that does that work in us. See, we get it all backwards and twisted up and, and we think that we've got to be afraid of God and, and that he's ticked off and he's this curmudgeon up there that is just constantly you know, waiting to, to wipe us out. And, and, you know, the bumper sticker that, you know, Jesus is coming back and boy, is he mad, you know. The, f- the fact of the matter is, is that God's wrath is, is going to be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world, certainly. But if you haven't rejected Christ and you've invited Christ to come into your life and you've received his grace, he's not mad at you. He loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And he wants you to quit trying so hard and working so hard. And he wants you to just have faith so that that faith can produce works. And, and faith does work. Faith works. It produces works in us. James tells us that without works, your faith is dead. But that doesn't mean that the works precede the faith. We believe God... We trust God. We understand that the works have already been accomplished and we just walk in them and we trust Him by faith and then the faith is made evident by the fruit and by the works. And so if you don't have fruit in your life, if you aren't seeing the works, if you aren't seeing sanctification, in a process of being set apart, then yeah, there is a problem. It shows an absence of faith. It shows a death. It shows the fact that Jesus is not working in your life. But we don't have to try to drum it up. We just trust Him. And as we abide in Him, John chapter 15, we will bear much fruit. That word abide, it doesn't mean work really hard. It doesn't mean strive. It doesn't mean legalistically trying to approach God. It means that we make our home in Him. It means that we trust Him. It means that we allow Him to work in us as we just plant roots in Him. And then as we do that and we abide in Him, the fruit is just born in us. It's an amazing thing. And so the first thing, you guys, is that we must be set apart. 
The second thing is found in verses 6 through 8, and that is that Jesus must be exalted, that he must be our vision, our focus, our perspective. Look at verses 6 through 8. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Now I want you to understand that when you, when you hear and, and see this phrase, the ark of the covenant, and, and we saw it in the section previous as well, it's mentioned ten times in this text. And the ark of the covenant represents the presence of God. You remember the Ark of the Covenant was there in the Holy of Holies. And it was there that the high priest would go and he would commune with God. And it was the Shekinah glory of God. And God chose for that time to only relate to his people in that place. That was the only place that they could go and, and find God. And, and now that place is in our heart. But as you read the Ark of the Covenant, you think of the presence of God. And that's what's being typified here. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you, or to make you great in the sight of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the, the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Actually, just to verse 8. So it says that, that Joshua spoke to the priests and he said, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. And so it was this presence of God that was to lead them into the promised land. It was, it was this vision of of God's presence and in reality what I want us to notice is there in verse 7 as it says the Lord said to Joshua this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel now we know that Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ he's a type of Christ Joshua in fact is the Hebrew transliteration of the Greek Jesus they're the same Word They have the same meaning. It means Jehovah is salvation. And so Joshua clearly, you don't have to be a Bible scholar, you don't have to be some kind of, of a smart person to, to figure out that Joshua is a, is a type of Christ. He's the one that leads them past the law of Moses and into, into all that God would have for them. And so as we see that Joshua was to be exalted amongst them, I don't think it's by accident. Because I think what, what the Lord is wanting us to realize and to recognize is that Jesus must be exalted in our life. If we want to enter in to the promised land, into the abundant life, the, the way that that will happen is that Jesus is exalted in our life. The abundant life is impossible apart from a life that is completely focused upon Jesus. We have to realize that Jesus is the best thing about us. Jesus is the best thing about us. And when we realize that, and when we focus and center our life upon Him, that is, 
the way that God's abundant life will begin to flow forth from us. It's impossible apart from Jesus. He has to be exalted. Jesus has to be our vision. Jesus has to be the center of everything that we do. It's got to come back to Jesus. And the third thing that I want us to see here is found in verses 9 through 13. And that is the Lord's presence must be realized. And we talked a little bit about that, but it says in verse 9, So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And that is something that is so important for us, is to hear the word of God. And that's why when we get together, that we open up the word and we teach the word. We don't teach, uh, you know, from some book that a guy wrote about the word. We don't teach some concept or some new fad that's going through the church. We don't just teach even concepts from the Bible. But what we want to teach is the word of God itself. Because we, we realize that apart from his revelation to us, that we're lost, we're directionless. And we need to hear his voice. And, and sometimes, you guys, when we come to church, it might just be one sentence that's going to just resonate with you. And your prayer ought to be, God, I want to hear from you. And you know, as a pastor sometimes, when I go to conferences and, and when I go to, to hear different people, you know, just like anything that, that you do, whatever it is that you do, you're kind of a critic of that, right? And so when I go and hear other guys, I, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh man, you know, this guy is just not one of my favorite Bible teachers or this guy is super boring or this guy's full of himself or, you know, whatever. And, and you get kind of critical. And it's easy to miss out on what God wants to say because you're all wrapped up in, you know, the messenger or in the way that you feel or what's going on at home or the kind of day that you had and you miss out. And you know how often we miss out because we just don't ask God to speak to us and we don't take the time to hear his voice. And certainly this is only one aspect of that, and this ought to be just a small aspect of that. But even as we read the word personally, we miss his voice because we're in a hurry or we're really not paying attention or we don't even pray and ask him to speak to us. But man, when you come to church, when you come to hear the word of God taught, it ought to be your prayer, Jesus, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your voice. I don't want to miss it. And when I go to hear guys, sometimes I just pray that, Lord, I don't want to miss out because of the messenger. I don't want to miss out on what you might want to say to me because I don't particularly like this guy's style. I don't want to miss your voice. And you know what? Joshua calls the people and he said, Come here, hear the words of the Lord your God. Let that be something that you meditate on, hearing God's voice, that you would long to hear the voice of God. Now, I'm talking about from His Word. Not 
going out and looking for some, you know, writing in the sky or some message from heaven that's coming in the form of a paper airplane. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Although God can speak to us in a, in a myriad of different ways, but it will never contradict His Word. And so when people say, oh man, God spoke to me and, and He said this and, and it's totally off the wall, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're wanting God to speak to you, but let's slow down a little bit here. Not so fast, my friend. Let's, let's look at the Word and, and let's make sure that this is true. And so when, when we hear the, the voice of God, sometimes because we're flawed instruments, we can, get, we can get things twisted up in our minds. So we've got to take things to the Word, and we've got to filter everything through the Word. And people will say, well, you know, God just speaks to me, and you, know, he, you guys make too much of a big deal about the Word of God, and you guys you know, are too into the Bible. Listen, there has to be some sort of a, of a filter. There's got to be some sort of a guideline and a parameter. Otherwise, it's just up for grabs. Everything is cool. And, and in some places, that's what's going on. Everything is cool. And whatever somebody says that God said to them is true. And that's just totally wrong. And so we have to filter it back through the word. But you know what, you guys, there is so much in the word. We don't have to be going to look for something else. We don't have to be, you know, running out, trying to find some message written in the sand or some code. We have the, the very word of God right here. And we have a still small voice. He wants to speak to us. Are we listening? There's a lot of voices competing for our attention out there. A lot of voices. Sometimes we need to just tune those out and, and hear from God. And the Lord's presence needed to be realized among them. He says, And Joshua said, By this you shall know, that the living God is among you. This is how you're going to know that His presence is with you. And that He will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. This was the seven-fold Gentile nation there in the land of Canaan. They were, they were broken up into seven groups. And, and these seven groups were going to be obliterated. They were called to go in and to annihilate these people. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. How can a loving God do that? Well, if you back up to Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham originally was given this promise, you know what God said to him? It will be 400 years before you enter the promised land. So here they are 400 years later. Why do you think it was 400 years 400 years that they had to live in slavery and in bondage and in turmoil and in trial and death. Why was that? Why did they have to go 400 years missing out on the promise of God? Because God was giving these people space to repent. And so when people say, well, God isn't fair, look, they had 400 years to get their act together. If they hadn't gotten their act together by then, they're never going to. And so God is very fair. Just like right now, 
God is waiting. Jesus is holding back his wrath because of his grace, because of his kindness. And he's giving people an opportunity to repent. But they were to go in and they were to wipe out these people, these ites, if you will. And it says, Behold the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. I love that. God's presence would be going before them. You guys, whatever God is calling you to do, when you get there, He's already there. He's already blazed the trail. He's already gone on ahead of you. Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. And so these leaders, these priests, these 12 men that were called, they were to go on ahead with, with the ark, and as they stepped into the water, it would, it would part. And I, what I see here is that the Lord's presence has to be realized in our life in order for us to enter in to the abundant life. We need to cognizantly understand that God is with us. That He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That we cannot go anywhere that He isn't already there. It was God who was going with them. And the ark symbolized His presence. And it was God that was going to wipe out all of these nations. He was calling them to go into battle and to do battle and to wipe out these people, right? Just like he's called us to engage in a battle. We talked about it in Ephesians chapter 6. You're in a battle. I'm in a battle. And he's called us to engage that battle. But guess what? He's the one that's going to win the battle for us. He doesn't just say, here, go do it and... You know, good luck. He's the one that's fighting for us. The battle is the Lord's. He's the one that will defeat the enemy. And, and ultimately, he defeated the enemy on the cross. And again, by faith, we have to recognize that and realize that, that the enemy is already defeated. That our flesh is already dead. That sin doesn't have any power over us. That those addictions don't have power over us. That that person who we are bitter against doesn't have power over us. That we're allowing that to happen. But God's already defeated that. We're allowing that person to control us. We don't have to, but we're allowing them to. Meanwhile, they go and they're, they're living their life just fine. But we're allowing that bitterness and that poison to ruin us. We don't have to allow whatever it is that's in our way, that Jordan River that's separating us from all that God wants to do, we don't have to allow that to stop us. But we do because we don't believe God. Because our God is too small. You, you've relegated God to, to a little genie in a bottle that you call upon when things have gotten really bad. But he, he's, he's wanting to be your all in all. He wants to be 
the very focus of your life. You, he wants you to recognize that his presence is always with you and that he is going to wipe out these enemies in your life, these battles. And as we're going to go through Joshua, we're going to see all these battles, and they represent the battles that you and I face every day, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against forces of wickedness, against our own flesh, our own sin that we allow to dominate and to dictate to us, even though it's dead. And it's the Lord's presence that needs to be realized in our life. When we recognize God's presence, all of a sudden, none of these things seem like that big of a deal. When we recognize who He is, and how powerful He is, and that He lives in our heart, there's a peace, there's a calm, there's a confidence that comes over us. But when we lose sight of His presence... When we aren't practicing the presence of God, when we forget that He's with us, and it doesn't take long, when you forget how much you need Jesus, and when you forget that He's with you all the time, all of a sudden the battles become insurmountable. All of a sudden the Jordan River becomes this raging body of water that's impossible for me to get beyond. All of a sudden, all of the promises of God seem impossible. All of a sudden, God's voice seems like it's a million miles away. The Lord's presence has to be realized in our life, you guys. Let's talk about the fourth thing. That is that we must step out in faith again. Verses 14 through 17. It says, So it was when the people set out from their camp, to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. Again, the presence of God going on ahead of them. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. And so this is where we learn that, you know, this wasn't just a trickle. This wasn't a little stream. This was a powerful river at this point in time this part of the year, and as the priests go up to the river, they're faced with a decision. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust Joshua who said, just step in and and the rivers are going to part? We don't know how long they stood there. We don't know how long they kind of just, you know, dipped their toes in the edge, wondering, okay, is this going to work? And there they are, and and they're faced with that decision of trusting God. And the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And so the fact was that they had to step out by faith. They had to trust God. It came down to ultimately, am I going to trust the Lord or not? Am I going to believe that He can do this? Forty years of wandering around, 
400 years of living in Egypt. All of my relatives, bodies buried in the desert. All that God has done. All that He's provided for us. The the rock from which water flowed. The manna every day. The the serpent on a pole that that took care of of the, the serpents that had inflicted them. All of the promises of God. The fact that that they had one pair of shoes for 40 years as they wandered around the desert and they never wore out. But now they're faced again with a choice. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust God that He's going to take care of us and as we cross this river and we enter in and all these giants are in the land and we've got to defeat them, am I ready for this? They had to make a choice to trust God and cross over. And that's what God is asking you to do. Are you going to trust me? And you guys, it starts with, I believe, with the leadership of the church. It starts with me. I have to do that in my personal life. It was the priest that went first. And they modeled for them. Trusting God and entering into that. And if, and if you're a leader in this church, it, it starts with you. If you want to be a leader, it starts with you. We must set the example and model the abundant life. And then you too have to come up to that place, to the river, and you have to decide, am I going to trust God? Am I going to step out by faith? Am I going to live by faith and enter into the, what God has for me? Not a perfect life, not an easy life, not a trialless life, but an abundant life. Not a life that is absent of battles, no. A life that's filled with battles. Not a life that doesn't have struggles, no. A life that is absolutely struggle-ridden, but being able to have abundance in the midst of those things. That's what God wants for us. And it's really up to us. God's given us the entire land. And he said, go, take it. It's yours. How much do you want? Are you content with where you're at? With Jesus? Are you content with existing on the east side of the Jordan? Maybe you've crossed over. And maybe as we're going to talk about next week, as they vanquished Jericho, maybe that's where you're at. You, you know, you, you're content with, with one thing that God's done. You're, you're content with a little bit, but you're not pursuing more. You're not looking to expand the borders of your life. You're not asking God to do more in you and through you. Now, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about possessions. I'm not talking about anything other than the blessings of God and being used by God and the fruit that God wants to have abound in your life. That's what I'm talking about. That He would expand the borders of our life, that we would enter into all that He would have for us and that we would not be content with where we're at. If you're content with where you're at, you're going backwards. We always want more. We always want to be pursuing Jesus. We always want to hear more of what He has for us. 
the next battle, the, the next opportunity, the, the next amazing crop of fruit that he wants to produce in your life. It never ends. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't allow the enemy to destroy your life. Don't allow your flesh to dictate to you how you're going to live. Pursue Jesus. Be set apart. Understand that you're already holy. Exalt Jesus in your life. Understand and realize His presence. And step out by faith. Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.